Come on, that's going to be exciting next week, isn't it? To be able to do that and build, to, to completely finish, completely finish uh, that school with, with one gift. So 100% of what you give is just is going to go right to established footstep. Now, none of it's going to stay here at City Life. It just makes the accounting a lot easier uh, to be able to for all of it come, and then we write one check, but 100% of it is going to go. And so uh, we just want to encourage you to be thinking and, uh, and praying about that. And then maybe it could be that God's going to be speaking to your heart about the Dominican Republic trip. He also could be speaking to you about going on the Haiti trip. And uh, Marvin's here. Marvin, can you raise your hand? He's right down here. And uh, he's easy to see in the high-vis yellow tonight, so that worked out really well. So uh, if, uh, if, if God's speaking to you about that trip, you should talk to Marvin. because I'm telling you, these are amazing. You should do a foreign missions trip at least once in your life. I, I'm it changes your perspective uh, forever. So I hope that God's speaking to some people tonight. I believe that he certainly is. So, hey, I just want to remind everybody, too, for Christmas Eve, we are going to be having service that night, uh, but we're excited because we're going to be doing a joint service with North Riverside Baptist Church, which is the congregation that we share space with here uh, at this facility. And that service is going to feel a little bit like us, and it's going to feel a little bit like them. Because that's how relationships work. If you're married or if you've got uh, deep personal friendships, you know what makes that relationship thrive is that you defer to one another. And one of the reasons why churches fail to work together is that churches don't like to defer to one another. And this is part of the model that we're trying to, to set an example with here in this region. At all three of our campuses, we share space with other congregations. And as we defer to one another, we're able to work with one another and we're able to reach our community. And so that's going to be a great night for us. There will be a nursery up through kindergarten, I think, kindergarten, and then first grade on up will be uh, in here uh, with us. So where we're launching a new series this month, we started it last week. Uh, uh, if you want to go online, you can get the podcast. Also, our notes are always uploaded every week. It's Megas Semien. Uh, it's Greek for a great sign. And we get that phrase out of right in the beginning of Revelation, Revelation 12. So let me read you a few verses that just kind of help us get us thinking along the right direction. And then I'll give you kind of the big idea, the phrase that we're unpacking in this series. But this is 1 Corinthians 13, 11. It says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man or when I became a woman, basically it's when I became an adult, I put away childish things. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 2 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger, and you still aren't ready, Paul writes. Listen to Hebrews 5.12. It says, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For my check-in earlier today, I, I said we're going we're gonna, to uh, uh, instill a, a new phrase into the culture of the City Life Church, and it's called meat on the table. 
We, come on, we want to be a church where there's meat on the table during our services and that there's a maturity of the people that call City Life Church their home. That yes, there's times where we need milk and we need people to help us with the, with the fundamentals of Christianity, but at some point there should be an expectation that we have on ourselves and the people around us that we're maturing into a place where we want meat on the table. The big idea that we introduced last week that we're going to continue to unpack over uh, tonight and next weekend is as I age, my understanding of the Christmas story must mature. As I age, as I age, my understanding of the Christmas story must mature. We're not saying that we should stop being childish and having fun at Christmas and putting up trees and lights and inflatables in our yard. We're not saying any of that. What we're saying is let's add something to the fun. Let's add some, some maturing in our understanding of the Christmas story. Last week I was telling somebody just before the service I had to pick something up at Bass Pro Shop and I went on Sunday morning and I pulled up and there was, there, and that's a big parking lot, there was barely a space. And the apartment was like, what, what is happening here today? And, and so I, we can do things like that on Sunday because we go to church on Saturday. And so I was there on Sunday morning and I thought to myself, I should be handing out reach cards to all these people because they would clearly like to go to church on Saturday since they're not in one this morning. And so, but, but what I didn't know, what I didn't know is that there's free pictures for Santa at Bass Pro, right? I mean, it, unbelievable. And I ran into all kinds of City Life families that were in there. And so that an errand that should have just taken me minutes, I was there for over an hour because I just keep talking to all these people. And people, that line was weaving all through the store. And I didn't leave there thinking to myself, I wish these people would grow up with Christmas. Now I left there going, come on, this is great. People are having fun. And, you know, parents are screaming at their children. It was beautiful, right? We're not saying stop having fun with Christmas. What we're saying is you got to add something to it because the Bible adds something to it that's incredibly sobering. Our understanding of the Christmas story matures as we realize that Jesus came to save us and to rescue us from a seven-headed, ten-horned demon dragon. That's where we started last week. We're going to pick up with that theme, but I thought since I showed you last week a little clip out of the Lord of, Lord of the Rings of Gandalf as he was fighting Balrog, the demon dragon in the Lord of the Rings, I thought I should at least let you finish the moment of the story to see how it turns out for him. Come on. I know. You'd rather keep watching that and listen to me preach. I get it. There was posts all this week about people watching the Lord of the Rings, and uh, I, was, I was talking to uh, uh, April, uh, who's our uh, media projectionist tonight, and she was she hasn't watched any of them. And she said, "I don't know if I can because just last week when Gandalf fell, it just made me jump." And I thought, you know, I'm going to be nervous through the through the whole movie. Hey, I got a couple of giveaways I'm going to do just as a commercial break because I forgot to do these. It's just like watching a movie, right? There's commercials here. So this is actually for April. It made me think about it because we had port this week where we partner with other churches to provide a safe, warm place for the homeless to come and sleep. And, uh, and we do a dinner for them. This is part of the port program. And so me and Marvin and Paul Yost were the overnighters. We were there from like 8 until about 4.30 in the morning. And the cook crew left plates for us. Praise the Lord. Come on. In the refrigerator, so about three in the morning, we were getting a little snacky, and uh, we went in there, and there were these these plates covered in foil, and the green beans on that plate, April Hauser, come on, were something right out of the Bible. 
she cooked the vegetable right out of them. I don't even know what they were, so this is for you. Come on, Starbucks. And then uh, this is for Ryan and Mae Nicholson. I think they're in here somewhere. Uh, they had to slip out a little bit early last night, so I don't think that they know that they're getting this. Uh, but last night, uh, for our annual Church Leaders Christmas Party, every campus picked uh, an outstanding volunteer. This was hard for us because the whole culture of our church is to go above and beyond. Just to be a leader, you got to be doing above and beyond. So to even go beyond that uh, says something. And so Ryan and May, this is for you. And uh, Ryan, uh, especially for what he does and our tech crew, he's always here late into the night making things happen. Come on, that's good. So that's for you. So one of the reasons why I showed you that clip is because I need you to see yourself in that scene. I need you to see yourself in that scene, that there is a battle that you must be willing to engage, and you have to begin that battle with the belief that you fight an enemy that's already defeated. We we look at that and we think, how on earth could he defeat such a creature? Something inside of you has got to say, I could do it. And that creature right there on that screen, that's make-believe. It only has one head and two horns. The one that the Bible tells us in Revelation 12, it's real. It has seven heads and ten horns, and it's the devil. Now, we talked last week. We don't know if that's what the, the devil really looks like. I think that, that he probably doesn't. And the description there is given to us not because of its specificity, but because of the impact that it's supposed to have on us. That we're supposed to read that description of a seven-headed, ten-horned demon dragon and, and not say this must be the image. But I think what we're supposed to say is that he's hideous, he's evil, he's powerful, and that he's violent. And even then, we're supposed to say, I can beat him. And that's what we're told in Revelation 12. Listen to these verses. Revelation 12, 17 to 18 says this. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children. That's us. All who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus, then the dragon took his stand on the shore beside the sea. He's still taking a stand today. It's a reference to in this natural realm. But listen to 10 through 11. 10 through 11, if we back up a little bit, says, Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power in the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to the earth to the one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb. That's what we talked about last week. By their testimony. That's what we're talking about tonight. And then next week, this idea of loving not their lives even unto death. So Father, as we unpack this message tonight, I pray that you would instill in every single one of us the courage of a warrior, of a spiritual kind that says that I am not going to get pushed around by a defeated enemy 
anymore. That I'm going to be just like the imagery of Gandalf from that clip last week. That we're going to stomp our foot and stand firmly and say to him, you shall not pass. And with the authority that you've given to us, there will be a righteous indignation and a confidence that rises up inside of us. That says, even if I've got to jump off this bridge and follow him down into the darkness, cavities of this earth, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to come out victorious in Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody said, amen. All right, listen to this. Somebody say believe. The first part of learning this idea of the word of your testimony, we could do a whole series on this, but the first part of it is that you've got to be willing to believe that your enemy is real. The first part, this idea of the word of your testimony, it's a, it's a phrase that's speaking to the story of your life. What is your life saying to the world? And part of the story of your life has to say to the world that the devil is real. Because one of the most dangerous places that you can be when you have an enemy is in a place of unawareness or even worse, ignorance or even worse still, denial. Listen to this, this comes out of the Expositor's Bible Commentary. It says, the basic plot of the story, this is out of Revelation 12, was familiar in the ancient world. A usurper doomed to be killed by by a yet unborn prince plots to succeed to the throne by killing the royal seat at birth. The prince is miraculously snatched from his clutches and hidden away until he is old enough to kill the usurper and claim his kingdom. In the Greek myth of the birth of Apollo, when the child's mother, the goddess Leto, reached the time of her delivery, she was pursued by the dragon Python, who sought to kill both her and her unborn child. Only the tiny island of Delos welcomed the mother where she gave birth to the god, god Apollo. Four days after his birth, Apollo found Python at Parnassus and killed him in his Delphic cave. Now listen about Egypt. Egypt, it is Set, the red dragon, who pursues Isis, the pregnant mother of Horus. And when the child is grown, he too kills the dragon. These stories were living myths in the first century and were probably known to both John and his Asian readers. Now, now what is this commentary suggesting? It's, it's suggesting something that's a little bit troubling to me. It's suggesting that, that John was drawing from pagan mythology to try to talk to people about Christianity. Or even worse, that he's taking something from pagan mythology and now making it Christianity. Now, many people, as they study the Bible, Bible, they follow this same line of reasoning. I don't follow that same line of reasoning. As a church, we don't follow that same line of reasoning. The, the, the line of reasoning that we follow is given to us by a missionary by the name of Don Richardson. And he has an incredible book called Eternity in Their Hearts. If you've never read that book, it's a fascinating read. He does a study of every culture in history. And his premise is that within every culture, God has hidden truths of Scripture in their own cultural practice, so that at some point when the Bible is brought to them, when the truth of Scripture is presented to them, there is a basis of understanding for what they find in Scripture because of what they've grown up believing in their culture. 
Don Richardson had a firsthand experience with this belief, which was really the inception of his belief, in another book he wrote called Peace Child. If you've never read that book, that's an another amazing story. So Don Richardson and his family in the 60s were missionaries in New Guinea, which is now a, a part of the island chain of Indonesia. And he was a missionary to cannibalistic tribes. How many people are going on that mission trip? Yeah. With his family. And this just went, wasn't just any cannibalistic tribe. This cannibalistic tribe believed that the greatest honor that you could get as a person would be to befriend a person. And the longer you pretended to be their friend before you killed them and ate them, the more honor you would have. So treachery and betrayal was the highest virtue in this community of people. So when he and his family are living amongst them and they're befriending them, right, the whole time they're thinking, are we just going to be the next person that these people betray? So when he tells them the story of the gospel, guess who the hero to them is? It's Judas. And he's thinking, this is terribly wrong. Here I am trying to present to them the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they're all leaving the church going, that Judas is awesome, right? I mean, he led Jesus on all that time and then betrayed him in the end. I mean, he didn't get to eat him, but, you know, come on. And he's thinking, what am I going to do? These people are going to be ruined forever. The longer he lived there, he began to learn about their culture. And one of their cultural practices is that when there are two warring tribes that are going to make peace with each other, in order for the peace to be honored, the, 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 the leader of one tribe and the leader of the other tribe would exchange children. They would take a child out of their family and they would give that child as a gift to the other family. And then this, this chieftain would give one of his children and it has to be an infant child, a, a, a young child, is, is given to the other chieftain, and that's called the peace child. And the peace child becomes a son. Now you're motivated, are you with me, for, the, for this other tribe to thrive because you have a child that lives amongst them, and they have the same. And even in this culture of betrayal, the most treacherous thing that you could do would be to kill a peace child. And when he discovered that, he realized that even in this culture, God had hidden something for them to understand Christ. And so as he began to help them understand, no, 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 Judas isn't the hero. He killed the peace child. Now all of a sudden, Jesus becomes the hero. It's powerful, isn't it? That God gave us his son to reconcile us to himself. This tribe in the 60s all became devoted followers of Christ and the people who still live in this community today, they're not cannibalistic anymore and they're devoted followers of Christ. We, we believe in this, this idea that God puts stuff in our cultural, secular practice to help us understand the truth of Scripture. And even though all of this mythology that exists that talks about the, the supernatural and demons and the, and the devil, if, if we're, if, unless we're careful, we'll find ourselves looking in that stuff and saying the Bible is just as fanciful in its imagination as the secular world and we couldn't make a bigger mistake. The first step in resisting the devil is that we must believe that he is real. 
We will never successfully resist him if we believe that he is the product of some ancient person's fanciful imagination. Listen to 1 Peter 5.8. He says, stay alert and watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You and I, if we're going to learn to stand against him, it begins with believing that he's real and that he's a threat and that I've got to take him seriously as someone who's trying to destroy me. Someone say delight. The second part of this idea of learning the word of our testimony and learning how to say to the enemy, you shall not pass, is that, is that we have to learn to begin to delight ourselves in the Word of God. You know, just, just last, last night at the Christmas party, I was telling Hannah at the beginning of the service, uh, it was late. We were all there working and cleaning up. It had been a long day. We were tired, and Vanessa came in, and, and Pastor David uh, was, was just walking behind her. Coincidentally, I don't even think that she knew that he was there, and, and she walked over to me, and I'm washing dishes, and she says, hey, can Hannah come over and spend the night? And I looked at her, and I just stared at her thinking, you guys are grown-ups. Why are you doing a sleepover? That's just weird, right? That's what I'm thinking all of these things, but I'm not saying anything because, right, I've learned enough to, to not say things like that to my wife most of the time. And so I'm just staring at her and looking at her, and she, finally she says, what's wrong with you, right? Because they can say things like that to us. It's, it's a double standard. So we, we teach this in our marriage counseling. And so and she said she's just going to spend the night, and then she's going to go to church with us, and then Laura is going to pick her up after service. And I thought, oh, you mean Hannah Nawani? I thought you meant Hannah Godwin. And she looked at me like, what's wrong with you, right? Because she didn't know David was behind her. I'm telling you that because sometimes we read things in God's Word, and we're thinking to ourselves, God, what are you talking about? What, what, what are you talking about? Sometimes we read stuff in the Bible and we know exactly what he's talking about. And that's what makes it hard. We know exactly what he's asking us to start doing. And we know exactly what he's asking us to stop doing. And that's why it's difficult. If we do not learn how to delight ourselves in the word of God, we will never withstand an enemy who's already defeated. We give victory to the one that Jesus has already destroyed. I have got to stop seeing God as my taskmaster and seeing him as a loving, perfect father. And when he puts boundaries in my life, we say this all the time, he's not trying to rob me of good things. He's protecting me from mediocrity. All right, so let's do another survey question. We did a survey question last week for, uh, uh, for, for animals in your nativity scene. And so, so this one, I, I know it's going to sound a little dark, but just, just, just stay with me. So by show of hands, everyone show me who, if you've done this in the last six months, if you've done this in the last six months, where you have taken a neighbor's cat, some of you are excited already and shame on you, right? <laughs> that you've taken that cat, you've performed some type of religious ceremony in your house. See, some of you are dark. I love it. You're going to fit right in here. The cat is killed, you eat it, and you drink its blood. How many of you in the last six months? Any hands? Praise the Lord. No hands went up. Come on. All right, let me ask you this. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand. I don't want you to raise your hand. 
I just want you to imagine that you would raise your hand if this next one's true. Don't raise your hand. How many of you in the last six months have viewed pornography or some other sexually explicit material that you know is inappropriate and wrong? And we're not raising our hands, but I guarantee you this. If we did raise our hands, there would be a lot of people in here whose hands would go up. And you would be shocked whose hands they are. Listen to these verses. Listen to these verses in Acts 15. Come on, I got your attention now. Acts 15, 19 to 20. And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write and tell them. Now listen to this. This is the birthing of the church. The, the, the birthing of the church happened in the Jewish community, and, and they're beginning to realize that this just, is, just isn't for, for Jewish people. This is for the whole world. And now they've got people that are coming into the church who, who, are, who never have practiced Judaism, and there are these people that are saying, no, 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 they've got to practice Judaism before they can become Christians. And there's other leaders saying, no, they don't. That's just how we got here, but that's not how they're going to get here. So they came up with a list of things. This was it. Right? This was real stuff. Right? We're the leaders of the church, and we've got to come up with a list of fundamentals, just basic stuff, to help these people learn how to get started as Christians. You should write them and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals, especially neighbors' cats, and from consuming blood. Let me read them again. Let me just leave out one. Tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. Now, all of us at the thought of those things, we cringe a little bit because something inside of us intuitively says, that's just wrong. But then it comes to this idea of sexual immorality, and for some of us, we don't even cringe at all anymore. Because we've been desensitized to something that God said is horrific. He puts it in here to give it the context that it's supposed to have forever. This wasn't just a list of first century people coming to faith in Christ for the first time. This is a list for us. Those other things aren't really cultural struggles for us, at least the people in this room, by the lack of the show of hands. But this other one, it's rampant in society. Rampant. This next step in resisting the devil is that we must stop letting secular culture, cultural norms determine our sense of right and wrong. Instead, we have to delight ourselves in the law of the Lord. Let me read it again. The next step in resisting the devil is that we must stop letting secular cultural norms determine our sense of right and wrong and instead delight ourselves in the law of the Lord. Listen to Psalm chapter 1. Many of you knew I was coming here. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They're like trees planted along the river bank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do, but not the wicked. They are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly, for the Lord watches over the path of the, of the godly and the path of the wicked that leads to destruction. Listen to this verse out of Genesis 4, 6 through 7. Genesis 4, 6 through 7. 
Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Sounds a lot like Revelation 12, doesn't it? There's a battle that we've got to be willing to engage in. It's part of the Christmas story. Revelation 12 is is what's happening in the spiritual realm. When we read in Matthew 2 and Luke 2, Revelation 12 is concurrent with it. It's just the part of the Christmas story that we couldn't see with our natural eye because it's what was happening in the spiritual realm. Part of Revelation 12 was talking about stuff that happened after creation, and part of Revelation 12 is talking about stuff that's to come. That's how prophetic literature rolls. It, It moves back and forth through time. But part of Revelation 12 was talking about when Jesus was being born and the the era of the church which we're in, this enemy that is defeated, now he's coming after us. We learn how to say to him, you shall not pass first by believing that he's real and by second, delighting ourselves in the law of the Lord. The word of our testimony has to be filled with the belief that we have an enemy and the word of our testimony has to be filled. The story of our life has to be filled with delighting in God's word so we can say to him, you shall not pass. We say believe, we say delight, somebody say stand, stand. Ephesians 6, 10 through 17, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground. Putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. That's what we talked about last week. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The next step in resisting the devil is that we must stand our ground in the face of temptation, especially those that come in desperate circumstances, disappointments, tragedy, crisis, and when we are emotionally vulnerable. That's when he comes. It's a funny thing about armor. It really doesn't help you in surrender. It only serves you in battle. And we're given this imagery of the armor of God because there is a fight that we must engage in for ourselves and for our families and for the people that are sitting next to us in the church that we call home. Now, if you want to learn more about the the armor of God, you can walk to any Christian bookstore and there's going to be shelves of books that talk about that. We're not going into that in depth tonight, but you can find that. You can search podcasts. I'm telling you, sermons are abound for what the armor of God represents. And if you're not sure which one, you can ask some of us. You can be at the bookstore. Come on, just Facebook message us. Take a picture of the book and we'll say, hey, get this one. Stay away from that one. If you're curious, you've never heard teaching on that, then I would encourage you to do it. But what I'm trying to focus on here in Ephesians 6 is, is not the details of the armor, but the idea of what the armor says to us is that God expects us to fight. 
He, he does not say, let me tell you about the armor that Jesus is wearing so he can fight for you while you're hiding in a back room. That's not what he says. He said, no, 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 no. You got armor because you're supposed to fight. There's a battle that you've got to do. He's defeated him. Now you've got to fight for the victory in your own life. Listen to 1 Peter 5, 9. 1 Peter 5, 9. Stand firm against him and be strong. I love this phrase. It repeats in the Bible many times. Stand firm, be strong. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Come on, meet on the table. Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous and be strong. James 4, 7. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Don't you love that that verse is in there? Because all of us like to say, oh, you don't, you don't know my story. Now, we might not. We might not. But somebody in this world has the same story that you do, a similar circumstance. And God says to us, you cannot use that as an excuse. You cannot use that as an excuse to retreat when you're supposed to fight. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. God is faithful. Listen to this promise. This is powerful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. We never have the freedom to say, I just couldn't resist. I'm not saying it's always easy. I'm not saying that we always get it right. But God has an expectation of us that's clear and that we are warriors in this battle against the devil as he knows that he's defeated and his only sense of satisfaction is to take as many people with him as he can. And you've got to learn to say to him, you shall not pass. You shall not pass. And then as a church, come on, we're standing together. And he just goes to the next one and he finds, you shall not pass. He just can't find his way in because we're all willing to stand beside one another and fight. Temptation is going to come for all of us. It's always going to be there. And there has to be a sense of faith, not in your own natural ability, but in the power of the Holy Spirit that's inside of us as the children of God, that we will be able to find the courage that we need in the moment to say no. Even when it seems as though there's an area of our life that we've always struggled in, God wants you. You might say, God, why don't you just take this thing from me? Because it's not about the thing. It's about you finding the courage to have victory over that thing. Because if you don't have victory over that thing, the things in your future that are bigger and uglier, you're not going to be able to defeat those things either. And so he leads us into these fights because he's making us ready for the battles of our future. And sometimes those battles of the future, they're not even for us. It might be for our wife. It might be for our husband. It might be for our children. And we must not fail in the fight today so that we can win the battle tomorrow when others depend upon us. All right, I'm going to invite you to stand as the band comes forward.
to give you these. Stop. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to help me do something. If, you, if you're introverted, don't get nervous. I'm not going to ask you to talk to anybody. It's okay. Those of us who are naturally introverted, we know how that feels. He's going to ask us to break out into small groups and talk to each other. and Don't do it. I'm just, I'm just going to ask you to do something. Just, 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 just help me out here. I just want you to, to reach over on the back of the pew in front of you and knock on it like you're knocking on the door. Just do it. Yeah. That's good. You know what that sound is? It's the sound of what's been happening in this room spiritually in people's lives from the moment they walked in this room. That's what, that's what that sound is. That's what that's, let's do, do it again. Oh yeah, that's good. So I was in here on Tuesday, as I do every week, just walking around in here, just praying for this service, for the word that God wants me to share, praying for many of you, knowing some of your stories as the Holy Spirit brings you to mind. It's up and down the aisles, up and down, kneeling here, walking around. And, and as I was walking down, I, I found myself, I, I didn't even realize that I, just, I was just kind of knocking on the end cap of the pew. And then when I became consciously aware of it, I, I started to stop. And I, I, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, keep doing it. So I just kept doing it, just kept doing it. Didn't really understand why, but we believe in prophetic gestures and how God uses natural things in this world to help us understand things that are happening in the spiritual realm. And so I just, I was up and down the aisles, every end cap. I'm not going on every end cap, every end cap, up and down, up and down. And then I felt like the Holy Spirit said, I want you to start knocking on the backs of the pews. Still, I, you know, maybe you're quicker than me. I'm a little slow sometimes. I, I still didn't get it. So I'm knocking on the back of the pew and I'm just knocking up and down and up and down and up and down. And I got to right over there, kind of where Jimmy and Sarah Goss are. Raise your hand. I got to about right there. I was walking towards that window. You can't read it. I love this church because they're, they're lit on the outside at night. Don't you love that? They're lit for the community when we're here in here on Saturday. And on the bottom of that window, it says Christ knocking at the door. So as soon as I read that, come on, I'm excited. Revival is happening, right? I was just in here by myself, but revival was breaking out. And then I just, so all week, every week, every day this week, I came in here to pray. Just knocking on these pews up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down because God has been knocking on your hearts. He's knocking on your heart. Revelation 3 verse 20 says, Jesus stands at the door and he's knocking. He's knocking. And for some of you, for some of you, he's knocking on your heart because you have a problem with believing. It might not have anything to do with this seven-headed, ten-horned demon dragon. That might be, it might be, because you've never bought into the belief that the devil is real. That's what he's knocking on your heart about. Because it says he wants to come in and sit down. And, and, and the language says he wants to share a meal with us. What is that about? That means that he wants to begin to have a conversation. And for some of you, he wants to have a belief conversation with you. There are things in the Bible that you've just chosen not to believe. He wants to talk to you about those things. Because you need to start believing. Because unless you're believing, you're never going to be able to withstand the enemy when he comes. For some of you, he's knocking on your heart because you have a delight problem. You don't have a belief problem. You have a delight problem. You believe these things that the Bible asks you to start doing or stop doing, but, but we do them begrudgingly. We, we don't do them willingly. God wants to have a conversation with you about delighting in the law of the Lord. That he wants to, you to come to a place where the attitude of your heart and the attitude of my heart is says, God, whatever you want to ask me to start doing, whatever you want me to stop doing, it will be the utter joy of my life.
Right? The same thing you want to hear to come out of the mouths of your children when you ask them to do things for you. God wants to hear that same sentiment come out of your heart. And the last one is this. For some of you, you're having a standing problem. There is a certain temptation that's in your life that's been beating you up for years. And you have adopted a mindset that I will never win. And Jesus wants to talk to you about that. He wants to talk to you about standing in the face of that temptation and say, not today. You shall not pass. You shall not pass. Father, for whatever conversation Jesus wants to have with the people that are in this room, I pray that you would find in us a listening ear and a willing heart. That we believe that as we age, our understanding of the Christmas story needs to mature. And part of the maturing of our life in the Christmas story is that there is a seven-headed, ten-horned demon dragon that wants to destroy us, to bring about our utter personal, individual destruction. And that there is a battle that we've got to begin to fight. And I pray, Father, whatever's missing in this person's life who's here tonight, believing, delighting, or standing, or maybe it's all three, that tonight that they would say, I'm going to do it all because I want to be everything, God, that you've created me to be, especially in the moments where you've called me to stand and to resist the one who you've already defeated. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.